Blog Talk Radio. Arthur Balin coming to you live from the classic city, Athens, Georgia, on a fine Wednesday evening after the first week of college football. Super excited to get into it and talk about what's going on. On the line, coming to you from the great west coast of these United States of America, the immortal Patrick Toppin. Can you hear me? Am I live? I, I can set up a mic. All right, awesome. I set up a mic, and I don't really know how well it's working. So we'll see if we get better audio quality than in the past. Arthur. What's up? BC is, BC is undefeated and won nothing. And looking, I guess, currently at the top of the ACC? Yeah, I mean, objectively speaking, BC is at the top of not only the ACC Atlantic, but the top of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Does this mean we should start it's celebrating? It's a wild, wild world we live in. Yeah, I, I, I have a lot of thoughts about that game, and well, I mean, I guess if you'd asked me last week at this time. If I could be, if BC would be one, no, I probably would have said yes, but I would not have been willing to gamble on it. Like, I dearly did not, I was not confident in winning this game at all. Obviously, Virginia Tech comes in. They're really talented. They have some good coaching. Um, God, I sound like Steve Adazio. Um, but they're just sort of a higher pedigree, more talented football team, if you would ask me just on paper and if I didn't know anything. And now I'm sitting here being like, damn, BC really kind of beat them. And it was a little bit uh, nervy at the end, but that's a a pretty unequivocal win. I mean, BC led for pretty much almost the entire game, um, right? Like they tied up at 14-14 and then never looked back. Yeah, to me, the, the big thing for me that was surprising was just the way that BC won that game. Because, you know, I, I think if we kind of put our, uh, you know, uh, head to it and said, you know, BC's going to win this game and here's how they're going to win it, we probably would have said it would have been on the back of A.J. Dillon. Um, and it would probably uh, be despite some struggles in, in um, pass coverage. And not to say that, that the secondary had a fantastic game, but they still forced three interceptions from Willis. And offensively, the game was really won by Anthony Brown in the passing attack. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess we want to sort of break it up into the entire game. I thought first quarter, BC came out aggressive. Um, we pretty early on saw how talented um, Zay Flowers and how important of a player he's probably going to be this year. Um, you know, I started off the game with a 33-yard touchdown uh, reception from Anthony Brown. Um Virginia Tech responded later in the quarter. A.J. Dillon took a while to get running. Um, really did not bust out a whole lot until that 17-yard run uh, with 7.58 less than the half. I mean, I guess I'm trying to I'm trying to get my thoughts out on paper. I don't know why I'm having an issue with this. I was really – BC's first half, in my opinion, was flawless, um, as well as BC could play. Um, I think they can hang with basically any team if they play that well. The offensive play calling was good. They rotated their backs. Um, they seemed to sort of figure out that the Virginia Tech defense was keying in on Dylan every time he was in the backfield. So they sort of switched out with David Bailey, uh, David Bailey, who seemed a lot, honestly, a lot more willing to give them some flexibility. And they seemed to be a lot more adventurous with the play calling. Um, and I think that was one of the big issues. If you want to get into it, Arthur, in the third quarter, 
Um, it yeah, seemed I mean, like what, what, the play calling is not adventurous when A.J. Dillon is in the game. Yeah, like so just going back to what you said, I think the first half was incredibly solid, and I think, you know, what, I talked about this a little bit in my quarterbacks preview um, during the preseason. We saw what Anthony Brown could do, um, and we could see we see we saw what he could do when he um, you know is on his game. By the way, if you want to call in, our number is six four six two zero 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 four four six. If you want to come in and uh, chat with us, um, we saw what uh, Anthony Brown can do, and we we sort of saw what we saw um, when um, he played. Um, we saw what we saw last year against Wake Forest. I think we saw a little bit of that in, in the first half. He, he was hitting his targets. He was underthrowing at, at, at times, but um, he and Zay Flowers really do have um, a special connection um, that I think is going to really give uh, defenses a lot of trouble down the road. Um, but it was adventurous, and um, it, was, it was unpredictable. And it, it, it kind of showed that you know, the Eagles really do have – this, this sort of two two headed monster on on the offense, which is incredibly encouraging, and not for nothing. You know, we talked about the offensive line last week. Anthony Brown had enough time to do his taxes back there. Um, in, in, oh um, yeah, when, when of all the back. things you, you were concerned about, um, the pass. I think my notes on Anthony Brown that I took down as I was watching the game basically came to be Anthony Brown is still a rhythm passer who, if he gets knocked out of his rhythm, uh, can get a little bit jumpy. Uh, his touch passes are not great, but when he gets in a rhythm and you allow him to make, you can buy him the time to make the deep throws. He can really thrive. And I think the fact is, the fact is, is that if they build the offense, and they seem to have built the offense sort of around that, where you sort of the long completions and the chunk plays are coming out of either a busted run play or off a deep play action pass uh, with phenomenal pass blocking. We can talk a little bit more about that in a second because I thought it was excellent. And they don't really seem to focus too much on um, having these guys run the intermediate routes because, quite frankly, having someone like Zay Flowers um, and Kobe White run five-yard outs is a waste of their best skill, which is their speed and their ability to get separation further down the field. Um, You save that for the tight ends, which I will admit um, there were definitely a few times and that Anthony Brown missed throws that I thought he should have made. Um, Just a sign that, you know, we don't have Trevor Lawrence back there. We've got, it's still Anthony Brown. He still needs to get into a bit of a rhythm. He still is going to suffer. He's not going to be perfect this year, but I think he's proven. I was really encouraged by the development. Yeah. I think what what the Eagles have back there is a perfectly serviceable ACC quarterback that will keep you in games and keep defenses honest. Um, because again, we saw what, we, what you know. He was um, through two quarters. What is he? Was he in line for like 600 yards of passing? Um, like it, it, the second, first half was that good. Um, so again, I, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. We don't have Trevor Lawrence back there. I, I don't think anybody can really expect Anthony Brown to be that that level. But what he gives you is sort of another option and, and another dynamic to the offense, um, and that should hopefully. Um, at least give up, uh, give a little bit more breathing room to the running attack, um, and hopefully the Eagles won't necessarily have to rely as much on AJ Dillon. Um, which again, we can kind of talk about how they kind of switched over um, to a more running uh, game in a second. But ultimately, I, I think um, you kind of have Anthony Brown has just kind of developed into a player who is reliable and will keep defenses honest uh, anytime he's out on the field. And I will say, in my opinion, I sort of the way I was looking at it was I think Anthony Brown looks like in this first game, um, and granted limited sample size, I fully understand. um, Anthony Brown has developed into a player who can win you a football game. Not just won't lose you a football game, but can win you a football game. And I think that's an awesome thing for Boston College to have. Um, I was also really, really encouraged by the no interceptions. Because in the past couple of years, that's really been what, like, when BC, like, implodes and really, really implodes, it's usually on the back of a couple Anthony Brown picks. 
Um, and he made good decisions with the ball. He threw in some tight windows that, you know, maybe in some things get a little bit, you know, maybe you're more likely to have a turnover than another. Maybe he got a little bit lucky on a few throws. But as a whole, like a Bud Foster defense is going to be very, very hard to read, no matter how much talent is back there. He's going to scheme around it. He's going to scheme um, coverages and blitzes like you've never seen before. And the fact that he managed to come away with no turnovers against that defense, to me, is I'm like, that is exactly what I want to see. Um, and I'm really, it gives me, a, it makes me a lot more encouraged for the rest of the year. It makes me think that BC actually has a chance. Um, winning some more of these games. Now, I'm not willing to go all in and, you know, be like, oh, BC number two and the ACC only behind Clemson or, oh, we're going to beat Clemson. But plus you still have to talk about the third and fourth quarter too. Because, and yes, let's talk about the third quarter. It was bad. The, yeah. uh, the third quarter is like the one big black mark on this game. Um because I think it showed that when Boston College, when Boston College isn't working, it sort of shows why it's almost a negative feedback loop. Um, and it's been talked about the death and sort of the comments of BCI and anywhere else. But Adazio's insistence on running almost a hurry-up offense, but built around power running, is that there are times when you just rush up, run the ball three times, and you a massive bodies and then punt and you've given your defense, which we also need to talk about because I was also very impressed with that. Give your defense 30 seconds of rest when they've been out in the field the entire half. It was not, that was, I think the third quarter showed why BC will be in some trouble if they can't figure out certain defenses like Clemson, like Wake Forest. And the issue is um, with the way BC kind of handled things is you know, it looks like um, Virginia Tech made some really good adjustments at halftime, especially defensively, and BC wasn't quite ready for it. So they, they got very lackadaisical on, on the play calling. Um, they had H.J. Dillon run up the gut. I mean, it, it wasn't totally RRPP um, like it, um, you know, I, like everybody kind of likes to joke about, but it, it, it was kind of uninspired. Um, you, you had a lot of AJ Dillon runs that it, it went for like either no or no games or, or negative yardage. Um, you know, we, we talk about the defense and the defense did a reasonably solid job in the first half, but when you only give them like a good minute, two minutes of rest, they're going to be on their heels the entire time and they're going to be, you know, running and that that's going to wear them down. Um, and I think you saw a little, little bit of that. So I, I just pulled up, you know, the drive chart, you know, BC only had, uh, what, um, I think six drives in the entire second half. Um, and all of BC, all the drives in, um, BC in the third quarter resulted in punts and all of them stalled out. After after um, there were three and outs, um, the fourth quarter was a little bit better. Um, there was one touchdown, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll caveat um, the, the third drive for BC was was the drive at the end of the game. Um, but when you ha- when you for an entire quarter can't effectively move the ball, that creates problems, um, you know, on both sides. Because number one, you're not you're not getting any offense on, on your own. And that kind of stalls out um, a lot of the momentum that you've generated, but that keeps your defense on the field. Um, and it, when you only like have drives that last a minute four, a minute six, fifty-four seconds, um, that doesn't give your defense a lot of rest. Yeah, um, and I actually want to take this moment to talk about something that I think took too long to adjust to, but I will think is a good adjustment, and I thought it was a wonderful. Wonderful play call. Um, and that is BC. So starting in the, so basically after the third quarter being entirely mired in this front, it seems like um, Bajakian and the offense finally got the courage to do something that was not what they've been doing all game. And that is that they threw a pass to 
A.J. Dillon. Um, if I look at it, it's, yeah, here it is. With 11.24 left in the fourth quarter, it was a, pretty much first and 10 at the B.C. 44. You've just forced a punt, and they just threw A.J. a screen, and he got, you know, nine yards, nothing too much, nothing like crazy. And then they ran the ball nine straight times, rotating A.J. Dillon and David Bailey to finally sort of break this slump that they're admired and score a touchdown and run a little bit of clock off. And when I look at that, I say, like, that is what sort of the offense that BC needs to be building because the Virginia Tech defense seemed to know that if A.J. Dillon was in the game, it was either going to be a running play or he was going to be in pass protection. Uh, he has not been a threat in the throw game, um, as Steve Adazio likes to call it. And I think that in some, a lot of ways that limits your play calling, and it also will limit the ability of the offense to effectively sort of misdirect uh, the opposing defenses. Um, and I think getting him more involved would really allow them to play a lot more to their strengths. Um, and I understand that's maybe not to – Anthony Brown or A.J. Dillon the strength, but if you simply have him out there as either a running back or a pass blocker, it's just defenses are going to catch on. Because um, to me, that is honestly the most important play of the game um, is that fourth quarter screen pass for nine yards. Well, um, I think a lot of the problems that A.J. Dillon has had in, in the past, because, uh, you know, we're all, we're all aware of what A.J. Dillon is capable of. I mean, he's, he's a, one of the best backs in the conference. And I don't think it's really disputable. Um, Country. But, but say again? Country. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I, I don't think those facts are really in dispute. Um, but the problems that I, that I think he kind of runs into is that, and I think you hit the nail right on the head, it gets predictable. Um, and when A.J. Dillon is in the game, Everybody expects the run. You can adjust for that. There's, there are few bats in the world that can be impervious to uh, a defense that knows exactly what they're going to do, if that makes sense. And uh, you, can, you can do that if you have an offensive line that can run block. But quite frankly, I was really disappointed in the uh, run blocking that uh, the BC offensive line provided. I thought they were great in pass protection, but their run defense was – pretty mediocre to say the least, which I was sort of surprised me because I expected that to be a strength coming in. But yeah, without an offensive line, um, that's really like world-class and when the defense knows exactly what's going to happen, yeah, it's going to end in sort of the way the game possibly should have ended with AJ averaging, you know, three and a half yards per rush. And I think, you know, basically Everything that that was good that came out of the offense this week came from a balance and keeping teams honest, keeping the defense honest. Um, you know what, what's really good about you know AJ Dillon, you know catching ball, it keeps defense honest, and it, it, they have to anticipate that additional layer of um, you know AJ Dillon being able to sort of catch this ball uh, rather than just you know running up the gut every time. Um, it keeps the defense honest. Um, it, the problem that I think with BC's offense, really since the dawn of time under Steve Adazio, is that it's it's just very predictable, um, and everybody in the everybody in the country knows exactly what Steve Adazio is going to do on a single play for most games. I mean, we, we saw sometimes what he what can happen when he you know opens up the playbook, but you know RRPP is a joke at BC for a reason. And it, it, it's kind of come into existence for a reason. Um, and it's because it's – you're picking you, Dylan. It's because Steve Adazio's play calling is predictable. Um, so when you have A.J. Dillon um, able to sort of catch the ball from um, you know, his, his position, that just opens up a world of opportunity. And that will keep yeah. defenses honest and, and, and create balance. Yeah, I agree. I think – and to me, that's sort of what it is, is calling an offense is all about um, sort of like you see in like boxing. It's sort of like, it's about feints. It's about, you know, you leave your hook out a little bit too long the first couple of times. And then once they sort of start catching on to that, then you speed it up so you can try to confuse them. It's all about that. And to me, having AJ Dillon as a threat out of the backfield um, 
as a pass catcher would really add that extra layer to the BC offense. And I also, it makes me question whether or not is do the, like, obviously we don't see it for a reason. Is it a shortcoming on the offense or is it a shortcoming on AJ Dillon shoulders? And obviously that's, wild and rampant speculation but i do think we eventually sort of a question needs to be asked is how come we never see aj Dillon catch a ball or that when we do see him catch a ball it's a topic of conversation worth having so once again our phone number is 646-200-0446 again our number is 646-200-0446 I'm going to call and talk about um, Virginia Tech. One more point uh, before we move on. Um, no, we're not moving on. We got a lot to say about the defense. All right, then let's 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 talk about the defense. All right. Um, I thought the defense was the epitome of bend but don't break. But I cannot stress how impressed I was with the secondary. Um, a lot of youth. A yes, lot of absolutely. I was absolutely delighted with how well the secondary played. Um, Because I knew, I think one, I think if you look at the strength of this team, it's clearly the linebackers. The two deep in the linebacking core is fantastic. Their run defense and their pass coverage were both, all facets of the game were very impressive, even with um, one of the starters out, shoot, who am I thinking of who was out? That's totally escaping my mind right now. Um, I can't believe well, I forget. Yeah, I, I think um, you know what. One of the they they had a really solid game, um, and you know Ryan Willis fought, threw for a little bit more than he did last year in, in terms of yardage, but he also made more mistakes, and the secondary forced to make more mistakes. He had more interceptions, um, and you know. The secondary, I think you hit the nail right in the head. They they bent, but they didn't break. And I, I, again, like it was something that we kind of expected to be a negative going in. Um, but it, they, they were really a unit that uh, really kind of kept BC in the game and really, you know, fueled um, uh, the way to victory. Yeah, I was like, I was just really, really impressed. I think they gave they actually, you know, it's a lot of obviously so. You know, defensive line and secondary is very sort of a symbiotic relationship, right? You know, uh, defensive line gets a lot of pressure. They may not get a sack, but they can force the quarterback to make a mistake, which can lead to a play in the secondary. I've actually found most of the game that Ryan Willis had a lot of time back there, but he could not find a guy to throw to, which is just an excellent job of the coaches, you know, scheming, the players playing. I was just all around really impressed. They reminded me of – and one of the things that I was worried about you often get with young teams um, – was that I was really impressed with the open field tackling of a young secondary because a lot of the time you, know, you can't always train guys to be fast enough or you can't give them the game experience for how to read or how to react to different routes and when you what you see coming from the quarterback. But they just consistently didn't let their guy go for yards after the catch. With like the exception of the blown coverage um, for the first touchdown, I thought they played more or less flawless game. And plus you can't really argue with like five interceptions either. So um, and also, my man, uh, Tanner Crawford, just looking like a monster there in the middle. Wonderful game by him. I really do think he's going to be a star this year. Well, three interceptions, but I, I think the point is is uh, um, solid. Um, you know, you, you can't really argue with, with that. And, um, again, it, it's very reassuring. And, you know, just kind of generally, um, a lot of the things that I was concerned about going into this, going into this game – turned out to be strengths for, for the Eagles. So I'm really encouraged about w- w- what's up ahead. You know, that's a very solid Virginia Tech team that they, they went up against this week um, and had a lot of success with. Yeah, I was, yeah, I think you can be, well, you know, you can sort of say like, you know, Ryan Willis did throw for, you know, 350 yards, but he also did it on 47. He almost, he almost hit 50 attempts um, and he was trailing the entire game. So it's like, you understand like that's not a fantastic stat line. They held uh, the running backs, uh, Virginia Tech, to yeah, 2.3 yards per carry. 
Um, I think it's just end-to-end a very, very well-played game, and I'm really pleased with it, and it gives me a lot more hope going forward. I don't know if it changes my outlook on the season. I don't know if it gives me uh, – doesn't really change my outlook on the season because um, they just have that brutal, brutal strength. But I think that I'm a lot more hopeful for games against Pitt, Florida State, NC State than I was, you know, six days ago. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, too, um, I had a point, and I just kind of the, – the thing is, too, um, that – you know, I just lost my train of thought. I'm I'm terribly sorry, everybody. Um, yeah. So, it, it, like the, the the thing is, yeah. I I, I hopefully I, I think of that again. Uh, sorry, everybody. Um, but let's move on and let's talk about next week. It's it's a game against an FCS opponent um, that. You know, obviously, FCS opponents we're, were kind of thinking about this game in a different uh, frame of mind than we're thinking about the rest of the ACC or the rest of the schedule, like especially with, with teams in the ACC. Um, but there are definitely things we can we can kind of focus on and talk about what, what we want to see out of Richmond. Really? I mean, I guess. Like, I mean, like I don't know. What, what I would want to see. Like, here, to here, see. Right, so here's the way I view it. BC should not just beat Richmond. They should slaughter Richmond. Um, they should, like, basically what my takeaways from FCS games are that if you struggle against an FCS team, that's just a bad sign. And if you dominate an FCS team, congratulations, you've hit the bar. Right? This game should be decided by at least four scores. And the backup should be playing the majority of the second half. And that is all I like. That's all I can really take out of this. Like when I like Cal this weekend struggled with UC Davis. And UC Davis is a really, really talented FCS team with a lot of you know with potential national title hopes this year. But also it's an FCS team, a new Division One program who should just simply be able to out talent a team like. And it doesn't matter with a few FCS exceptions. That should be the case. So um, one thing I, I do want to see is tr- kind of like some improvement on uh, some of the things that we talked about. So I, I want to see an improvement in the run blocking. So I want, I want to see, um, you, you know, the, the obviously there's going to be a difference between Virginia Tech's um, defensive line and Richmond, but I want to see an improvement and just kind of some on improving the run blocking um, scheme. Um, additionally, I want to see – I don't want to see the obviously open up the playbook, but I want to see them try and get out of the pattern of, of predictable play calling. Again, let, 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 obviously we're not opening up the entire playbook here, um, but let's at least kind of get out of that rhythm, get out of that mindset. That, that, that's one thing I do want to see. Yeah, but then again, I also don't – I can't imagine – a way in which I would watch this game and see sort of like an improvement in run blocking and not think that it was simply because BC out-athleted Richmond. Like, I wouldn't think that the improvement was because, oh, over the week, you know, they probably re-schemed everything and looked at everything. We're trying to figure it out um, and, you know, improve their technique. I'd probably say, like, yeah, it's because our offensive linemen are 310 pounds and their defensive linemen are 250 pounds. And we're talking about a team that went, like, that came in second to last last year in their conference. Yeah, they Wasn't went really that low. Yeah, they went two and six in conference, four and seven overall. Not great. Yeah, and it's it's, it's it's just it's hard for me to get any meaningful takeaways from Richmond. Like you hope you dominate them, right? And I'm almost, I'm almost a little bit upset or whatever because, like, I can almost get behind an FCS team that's local, right? If you wanted to play a team like Rhode Island or Maine or Villanova, right, or New Hampshire, any of those FCS teams, 
to me, I'd be like, oh, like, I get it. It's like sort of like the local thing, you know, you find a way to like, dig down. And it's why I, I can't be too mad at, you know, when they have games against inferior FCS opponents like who they play last year. Was last year a Holy Cross year? Yeah, Holy Cross. That one makes a lot of sense to me, right? When you play like a really bad team like UConn, like at least there's some like, like, no, don't geographical... don't justify the UConn game. Please don't justify the UConn game. I understand why they do it. Like, there's worth like if you're gonna beat up on a bad team, you might as well do it locally, right? Support your local punching dummy, um, right? Every ah! it just it it makes sense to it. Um, to me. I just don't know why we're playing Richmond, right? I don't think, like, this would be a cool year. Like, you want a game that would actually be important? Go play Maine. They won their conference in FCS. Um, they're local. You can actually get a little bit of alum. You probably actually have alumni in Boston who would be able to, like, check it out. I don't know. I don't can't imagine how many Richmond, how many Richmond alumni there are, uh, in the greater Northeast area who would like come to see this game. Um, especially knowing that you're probably just going to get killed. So yeah, that's my yeah. approach to this game. I don't think like I've like, because of this show, I will watch this game, but I will not be paying anywhere near, unless it is a close game, in which case you will have to, we will have to analyze what went wrong. Um, I mean, I, I will probably uh, try to forget as much of it as possible. Yeah, like it's just there's nothing to be gained here. Um, My games are stupid uh, unless they're not, and I do want to like I, I I think there's an interesting discussion we can have about my game this week or this past week um, that I, I think definitely can be a topic of discussion. But one more thing um, before we, we move on. Um, I think just approach it by this game as just an opportunity to get better. Um, obviously, pick up the win, but focus on the things you need to you need to, to get better against live competition, and then get ready um, for Kansas the next week. Yeah, pretty much. Like it's it's win the game, focus, but you need to just be smart um and hopefully everyone comes out of it with no injuries that's me that's the most important thing is win and don't get hurt um so you know with a little luck that'll be the case yeah so here's what i want to talk about um i'm sure you saw um what happened this week in knoxville um you mean when tennessee lost it a Georgia State team that went two and ten, and it's been li- being labeled as like the fourth worst, fourth worst loss of all time. They have been an FBS program, Georgia State. We're talking about for nine years. Okay, well, stop. So, like, you know, that's that's not even the thing. Let's not even talk about the fact that like they've been an SBA and. FBS team for nine years because like what did App State become a right App State became a fo- like a FBS football team in 2014 but they were been really really good and they were also really really good at the FCS level now like I sorry what I'm trying to get at here is like a team can come up from FCS to FBS and be a good team Georgia State is just not a good team. Georgia State is awful. Last year, they were, like, historically awful. And they just beat a Tennessee team that everyone was hyping up because, oh, they finally figured it out, figured out to more or less continue the futility of roughly, like, 20 years of Tennessee football. Like, I think it's so hilarious. Here's the point, here's the point I, I, I want to make, and I, I do agree. It's, it's unbelievably funny. Um, you know, the idea that Georgia State, like, and – just to give you an idea, and I don't mean to bad about anything about Georgia State. It's a perfectly fine institution, um, but it's very much kind of like a, a commuter school that, that's in the middle of Atlanta. Um, that it really doesn't make a ton of sense why they do have a football team because it just kind of it doesn't necessarily fit. It's it's 
it's like Temple, but it's not like Temple because it, it, it's just very much a commuter school that exists in the middle of Atlanta that, that's designed for people to go to school and then go home. Um, again, nothing wrong with that at all. Um, I'm not here to badmouth Georgia State. Um, but it, it just like the fact that they have a football program is just kind of um, it, it just kind of seems odd to me, and it just kind of seems like something that only would exist um, somewhere down south. But here's a, a, the overarching point that I want to make. Um, Tennessee just went through this whole hiring process, um, and you know they, they went through this hiring process that was a mess. They hired what? three or four coaches before they ended up deciding on, on this one? Or was it this year? Was that this past summer or was that the summer before? I remember it was recent. You mean the whole Greg Schiano, like, we don't want him, yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah. <sighs> Man. I, I'm pretty I don't sure even it was know. This, this, it, I, I'm pretty sure it was this past summer, but well, well, for the purposes of this, we'll say it's this past summer, but the timing oh, that's, that's isn't necessarily That was 2017. Okay, so the timing isn't necessarily important. Um, but what I'm going for essentially is Tennessee is a program that's designed to succeed. It, it, they play in one of the biggest stadiums in the country. Um, they have a ton of funding coming in from boosters. It, it, it's a program that should be better than it is right now. Um, and I think one of the problems that's kind of coming into play is expectations are kind of getting the better of if, if that makes sense. Um, there, there's, there's such kind of a push to um, get better at, at, at an extraordinary pace that expectations are kind of getting past what's really feasible, and that's creating a toxic environment, and, that, and that's kind of creating a, problem, a situation where it's hard to succeed if you're a Tennessee football coach. And what I'm getting at is this. Whenever a team is rebuilding, you have to have reasonable expectations um, as, as a fan base. Because if you don't, what that just creates is, is a whole mess, a whole toxic environment where coaches are getting fired left and right, and the program is in disarray. What you have in Tennessee right now is a, pro- a program that is in utter, complete disarray. They they're trying to rebuild. They are utterly failing, uh, and now you have where you have a, a coach whose contract you really can't buy out without taking it in the teeth. Um, and you have a situation where you took this one storied and proud football program and, and, and just and it's just gone, gone in the rut. Um, so I say all this as a cautionary tale because um, just when you're, when everyone is yelling and, and saying like PC, they don't make the national championship is you know, it's a it's a failed season. Expectations can can be the downfall of a program, if that makes sense. I don't know you if that makes bring, any sense. You also bring up a really a really excellent point or whatever, where a lot of people expect um, coaches to come in and immediately start winning, um, or even win, or even even if they don't win in their first year, maybe be winning in year two. Um, and I think a lot of the times that's set off by uh, a couple things. I think you can look at coaches who go to really good situations that are already pretty stable. Um, you can look at a guy like at Georgia, uh, Kirby Smart, going into a pretty solid situation left behind by Mark Richt where you're not entirely devoid of talent on either side. Um, or you can look at Brian Harson at Boise State, or you can, uh, you know, Sarkin left the uh, covers pretty pretty stocked at Washington for Chris Peterson. I mean, those are not awful situations. Um, rebuilding something entirely different is is tough. So that might be where I disagree with you because I think if a new coach came into Boston College, he would not be coming because BC had bought out. BC and Steve Adazio had bottomed out. It would be because the BC had decided that they think they can win more with the players on the team right now. And that Adazio was not fulfilling that potential. Um, that's where I might disagree with you a little bit, but actually um, the guys no, we agree on that. We, we do agree on that. Um, 
the guys actually, though, I do think this is really important in these days with the new early signing period um, for football. And the guys over at uh, pod, uh, be a fellow SB Nation sort of podcast radio thing, um, podcast ain't played nobody, which if you don't listen to and you're listening to this right now, I highly recommend awesome football analysis. Um, really, really, really good. Um, talks about how the new early signing period has basically turned most coaches year one into a year zero because they can't really fill out a quality recruiting class in their first year because basically they're hired for their job and um, late, you know, early spring, and all of a sudden they're expected to sign someone. They have their full class signed two weeks later. Um, so, yeah, I do think you always have to be aware of not pushing too hard and understanding that improvement takes time. These things don't happen instantly. Um, whether or not that conversation applies to Steve Adazio and a potential successor, uh, depending on how the season goes, um, we could reassess in three months. Um, because if a coach were to come in, it would mostly be because we believed that Steve Adazio did not live up to the expectations given the roster that he has right now, which is entirely his guys. That, you know, he's been coaching up for years. So, yeah. Um, I do think that is yeah, something and, very, and very important. Part of, the issue, part of the issue, too, is like Steve Adazio, as, you know, as frustrating as seven and six has been, that, that's kind of just been what the doctor kind of ordered. Um, because it, it, now, think about After what bonding out in like two and ten, yeah. Yeah. So the uh, thing about where we – like you're, you're exactly right. The thing about where, where we were as a program back in 2012, like when it, everything kind of bottomed out with, with Frank Spaziani – um, you know, BC football, I know we kind of like, if people like to joke about like how BC football is a joke right now, it's not, um, you, you know, when it was a joke, it was a joke back in 2012 when, when, uh, Frank Saziani was, was at, at the helm. And, and if you think that there's, there's equivalency that you're out of mind, um, that was back, that was when BC bottomed out. BC has gone to the point where there is stability and they're, their strength, and I think one of the reasons why we were able to kind of facilitate that is there wasn't really this lofty expectation. It was just kind of an expectation to get better and get better and get better incrementally, and and sort of, sort of have this level of stability. And there are growing pains to the process, um, but I think I think again, like Tennessee and BC are obviously two very separate, two, two different kind of um, programs, and like. There, there are probably more differences than similarities, but I think one thing that is, I think you can be, you can kind of uh, synthesize from this is that expectations can really kind of be your downfall. Um, and if you kind of expect a team to like win conference championships when, or like be contend for national championships when they're simply not there yet, those expectations can be your downfall. That's fair. I do think it is important to keep your expectations for a season in line with the roster you presently have, um, which I'm going to take this chance to totally pivot. And let's talk about expectations for a roster and breaking news as of today via BCI that Winston Tabs, point guard for your Boston College Eagles men's basketball team, is out for the season. Do we have to? Well, <laughs> it's, it's not going to be a fun conversation. Well, yeah, as a senior basketball writer, I do feel compelled to simply say that um, I'll have some more analysis on it when I've really, really looked at the roster and tried to figure out how Jim Christian and co are going to try to like, You can't really fix it, but you can try your best to coach around it because I really don't know what else you would do. Um, you can't you just can like, cut out there, it. man. Let's say, try that again. Um, you can try to coach around it. You can, but the hold is the hold is pretty big. I mean, Winston Tabs is a quality player. Who I know there's some people in the comments today, sort of talking about how oh, you know, the BC record 
with him is only better um, because BC was playing worse opponents in the non-conference schedule before they got into ACC play. Yeah, kind of. But also, if you just watch basketball, you'd know he's a really good basketball player who you can't replace with just every run-of-the-mill freshman. And he was playing like a superstar. Um, right? He had some really, really – he did have some, like, clunkers of the game. But when he was playing well, he was playing really, really well. And I don't think BC, even if it played – if all the freshmen came in and played to the best of their abilities and our expectations of them, and Derek Thornton, the USC transfer, came in and played his best, I still don't think you'd replace him. It makes a lot more sense now, and I don't know how long Jim Christian has known that Tabs would be out for the year, but it makes the decision of Derek Thornton, um, who's USC's transfer, who's a former five-star guard, who's sort of a pass-first point guard, um, great ball skills, but not much of a score, and an excellent ball handler. It really explains maybe why he came to BC, because I don't know how long... um, the coaching staff has known he was going to be out for the year. Which is another question yeah. that I'm very yeah. curious about. I, I mean, it's kind of hard to determine that, don't you think? I mean, yeah, because I mean, these rumors have been swirling for months. Right? I was in Boston the last time. Um, I read like a rumor, I think it was on like Beacon Street Ball or something like that. It was like, hey, like we're hearing some rumors that uh, Winston Tabs might be out for the year. And I think I was like, yeah, like, let's wait till we hear it. Like, I'm sure we'd hear something about it sooner or later. I sort of wandered around campus, um, you know, maybe hoping to see, like, a basketball player who you could, like, ask, or maybe you see tabs on crutches, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that would explain it. Um, but we've, like, the rumor, if the rumor, if the first rumor reported by Beacon Street Ball is true, then and the date, and they were right when they got it, then BC's known about this for months. Um, and only, and we know that they only announced it today because we messaged them and said, hey, we have a source that would confirm this. We're going to publish it, just so you know. So. Yeah. It's also into question, but I think, you know, as as good and like and you know as, as as encouraging as those transfers are number one your depth really takes a hit when that happens um but number two you, you have guys coming in now and the problem with graduate transfers is just they don't have like as, as robust understanding of the system as as guys who um don't like have, have grown up in the system so um this is this is not good um, I, I don't think there's really any other way to put it. Um, losing a guy like Winston Tabs um, is is highly problematic, um, and this is going to be a long year. Um, I I don't really know any other way to put it. Um, I, and I, I wish you know obviously we had um, a more rosy uh, outlook on you know what what's what's happening. Um, with this team, but at, at the end of the day, you know, that, that's too valuable a piece to be lost in, 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 in the equation. And it, it's, it's going to take a hit. And this is, this is going to be a really difficult year to watch BC basketball. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to say it might be worse than 2015, 2016, but like I have the fear deep down that it could be worse than 2015, 2016. Um, I think as a whole, the roster might be more talented, but just like you lose your primary ball handler. It's tough. Obviously, you know, you can coach around it. Uh, Jim Christian has been able to seemingly pull guards out of nowhere. Um, I'm really excited about, I was really excited and still am about Popovich and Jairus Hamilton. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll find out in November. Um, so moving on, um, do you have anything else, or do you want to move on to the question? Let's move on to the question because uh, I think we've covered it. BC's win this week. I guess my final thoughts on BC's win this week. Um, good okay. win, a very BC win. Um, yeah, probably should not take. 
five turnovers to win that. You know, a plus four turnover margin is a lot, and you'd hope for a more than seven-point win. But um, at the end of the day, I've never complained about a win, and so I'm happy that BC is starting the season 1-0. And, uh, yeah. Well, it wouldn't be a BC win if we didn't lose a little hair on the way. Exactly, right. As long, listen, as long as my blood pressure stays within the appropriate ranges, uh, my doctor has not forbidden me from... Even even if it doesn't. I just won't tell him. <laughs> even if it doesn't. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, so did you listen to the, the Taylor Swift album yet? No. All right. So that's still your homework. Uh, you're, you're, you're now a week late yes. on, on your homework assignment. So uh, Laura's going to track you down. Yes. Um, so... This week's question comes from, again, our editor-in-chief, Laura Berestecki. You can follow her, follow her on Twitter, at L. Berestecki. Um, and she submits this question. Um, other than Zay Flowers, what's your favorite type of flower? That, and like that tulips. is the phrasing of that question, by the way. I like tulips. See, I, I do like tulips. I like roses. Um, I what I really like, I, I'm sure I'm, I have them, you know, in my head. Um, what's what are they called? Um, uh, marigolds. I I love marigolds. I also like semolina flower. Hmm. I like dandelions too, even though they're a weed. Um, they look they look nice, and you can kind of blow on them. They're a flower a to me. Was that? So they're a flower to you, and that's all that matters. Yes, I they're a flower to me. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for our show this week. Um, I want to thank y'all for listening. Um, uh, once again, um, this is uh, Arthur Balin uh, signing off for Patrick Toppin. Enjoy the games this week. And uh, above all, um, go Eagles, and we'll see you next week here on BCI Radio.